and welcome to This Just Is. My name is Ian Friedman and I'm very happy you're here. I hope that you are safe and healthy. I hope that your friends and family are as well. My guest today is none other than actor, comedian, writer, and producer extraordinaire Matt Ingebretson. Matt is a wonderfully talented and kind-hearted man, a whole hell of a lot of fun to talk to, and really, really funny. His show Corporate airs on Comedy Central. Their new season should be airing this summer. If you haven't seen the show, seek it out. It's fantastic. It's a wonderfully dark and comedic peek into the madness that is working at a large company. And I've worked at a large company, and let me tell you, it ain't that far off. It's a truly exceptional show, and Matt is an exceptional guy, so it all makes sense. So, here he is, Matt Ingebretson. Wow, here we are. And you have abstract art behind you. You're really fucking showing off here. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what the hell you're doing in there, but... That's a, that's a piece of trash I have on the wall behind me. We, <laughs> we found that in a landfill. Well, that's good. I'm glad that you, you and your, uh, your girlfriend are frequenting the landfill to fill up your time during this, uh, during this crisis. Yeah, you know, you got to mix it up. So we've been going to the landfill. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. It's totally fine. How are you doing? Um, I feel fine today. I'm like a little sleepy. That's what I'm, that's what I'm, what I'm battling today is I'm a little sleepy today. That's it? Just a little tired? Just a little tired. That's all. That's pretty much, you know what? And, and you know, everything that's going on, if I'm just a little sleepy, I can't really complain about it. But, you know, yeah. I will. I, I, I most certainly will. It's like people are like, oh, this stuff's going on and it's terrible. And you're just like, well, I'm sleepy. So, <laughs> well, that is, that basically is my existence is like sort of just not having any really serious problems as the world collapses around me, you know? Yeah. Well, I actually want to talk to you about that because I've known you for a while now because we work, you know, we work together for a little bit mm -hmm. uh, in my old life and in your soon to be old life. Yeah. And like. I know that you, you were a stand-up, you did stand-up comedy and writing and performing, mm -hmm. and as someone who has done stand-up and done it a lot, you've definitely run into your fair share of, of stand-ups and have friends that are in that performance world, and one of the things that I've always noticed about you, and I've always thought of it as a very strange sort of anomaly, is that you're, you seem to be a very well-adjusted person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that, like a lot of the people and uh, that I've come across that are hilarious people or stand-ups or performers of any type, they're like these tortured souls that grew up with sort of crazy circumstances or they've had to overcome addiction or they're in the throes of addiction or they're on psychotropic medication. Uh, and you've always been like, no, I'm from like a great family in Texas. And, uh, you know, every, all the kids are doing great and I love my parents and yeah, my parents are great. They're just great people. And I've always been like, how did you end up out here doing what you do in this business, which can be so brutal and rough? Yeah. And kind of swimming in this, in these very kind of turbulent waters. Like, what is that? What's that about? I don't know. Okay. I do. I have found that. I mean, I, I don't want to paint myself as some saint or like some. No, of course. Yeah. Person. But I do. I do find that, especially when I was in the stand up scene, that I was like, oh, wow, I'm surrounded by a bunch of deeply mentally ill people who who really need a lot of help day to day 
with what they're doing uh, and found that I often, I don't know though. I mean, I, I, uh, I guess, yeah, I, I lucked out with like, I had a pretty good upbringing and I had a dad who was very even keeled and kind of knew how to deal with um, his own temperament, I guess. And he actually even, he's from Iowa and um, he, uh, there's a bunch of people who went up to Iowa, like hippies, I guess, Fairfield, Iowa in like the 60s or 70s and kind of took over the town to my understanding. And he took transcendental meditation classes when he was... Uh, when he was in high school and kind of, um, meditated my, the whole time I knew him and, and kind of, I, I, I don't do transcendental meditation, but I do some meditation now, but yeah, I don't know. I guess I feel like probably the reason I ended up being funny or, or rebelling against being just a normal man with a business, like a businessman or something, which, or my dad's an engineer. Like maybe the reason I didn't end up doing that is I, I grew up in a really, my parents are very moderate people, but I grew up in a very conservative place and I just always felt very confused about where I was at and I was like, I definitely don't belong here and it, the way people behave here upsets me largely and I think it's wrong and I, I felt very trapped and so I think in a way my dark sense of humor came out of like rebelling against my um, surroundings, which were sort of very vanilla and polite in a lot of ways. And I, it must've been some rebellion against that, that, that led to what I have become. (laughs) The the monster that you've become. Yeah. But yeah, that's what I was going to say next is that like, you do have a very dark sensibility, uh, which has always never jived for me. It's like, you're not the jolly guy on stage. You're like, Right. actually going through some pretty like your material is usually kind of dark yeah um and so it's interesting that you've identified that you feel like it comes from some sort of rebellious angsty time in your youth that you've continued on but it's interest. it's also interesting that now it's still continued on it's still your voice i mean yeah. corporate the, the show that we worked on your show that i was fortunate enough to work on you know that's a dark show and it's dark thematically dark it, it's shot in a way that that's d- literally dark uh-huh. you know the director pat uh-huh. makes it that way uh-huh. um so i've always been I know. you know me and my colleagues would always be like how does that guy make that show i don't get it because it's like other people you'd be like yeah sure i get right. why like yeah. why that why that person's doing that show and why it's that way but for you, it was always different. And, and it's, in, it's also like kind of wild that you feel like your father was a great sense of like centering in your life because, mm-hmm. you know, I, I would say that my father, I love the man, but was not a centering. <laughs> he was centering in the sense of like he had a good job and he worked his ass off and he yeah. was, you know, a provider and, and, and you know, worked his way up. But emotionally, you know, he wasn't given the gift that your father was given of like transcendental meditation at the age of 16 or 17. I mean, what kind of what kind of father would I have had had he been given that gift? I mean, I'm just learning now in my life how to how to model how to like modulate and, and, and control not control, but at least understand why I'm feeling a certain way about a certain thing and examining it and trying to healthily yes. deal with it because I think two things is like I think I think the best you can do in your life for better or worse is 
is take a few steps forward beyond what your father or mother was able to do with their life emotionally. Yeah. Where it's like, I think about my, like my mom had, I'll just spill all my family secrets out. My mom had a very <laughs> depressive, like um, kind of angry father. But, she, and so, but she turned out very sweet. I, I don't know. I think that I talked to a lot of people who, but if you think about like probably what the app typical father was like in the 1850s, I just imagine them beating the shit out of their son until they pick up the hoe and go yeah. kill the weed or whatever the fuck. So it's like, I think that with your father, it's like, you've probably already taken, not to denigrate your father at all, but it's like many steps past what he was able to do emotionally and like in, in terms of the way you think about yourself and that's about the best you can do and you'll probably Ian I'm sorry to say you'll probably never be enlightened <laughs> fully <laughs> I'm sorry and neither oh. will I by the way oh. but it's like no, but I, gonna... I disagree I, I feel like I'm there already oh yeah you know? yeah I've, compl- I've reached full enlightenment no oh, I see what you're saying like I think that most people yeah. with the exception of a few you you get enlightened when you take your last breath that's when you yeah. You kind of say, oh, oh, shit. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> and the other thing that you touched on, which is like my life is basically, I think I do have um, the thing my dad did instill in me, which probably both helped me and made, drove me mad. I, I think I've coped with it better than I have in the past is a constant sense of disappointment with myself or like feeling that I could be doing better in a really deep way. So I'm. I'm really, really hard on myself. That's the thing I've worked on, trying to not be so hard on myself, but I really beat myself up for a long time. End of this day, if I'm not achieving in whatever way I think I should be, whether that's in like the pages I'm writing of a script in a certain day, if they're not what I imagine they could be, or if I'm whatever, I'm whatever other aspect of my life. I even like early on in stand up, <laughs> there are some videos that exist of me that, because, um, my friend, I used to just sort of blow up on stage sometimes at myself. If I like fumbled a joke or a joke I thought was going to work, didn't work. I would often throw my notebook and kind of rage around in a pretty genuine way. And there's some videos of me just essentially like having a meltdown on stage. Cause you often, when you do open mic stand up at first, there's often like 50 comedians there and they're all waiting their turn. And if you're like 47th on the list, I also, my life was just hell at that point. I was, I was working the jobs that we based corporate on. So I was just miserable. Yeah. I'd write jokes during the day and I'd go to these open mics at night, desperate to like perform them and get the reaction I wanted. And if by the time I waited two hours for my three minute set, if I misstepped on a punchline, if I fucked it up, I just wanted to absolutely kill myself because I felt like I was wasting my, my life in those moments. So I think I have a lot of angst around that of feeling kind of uh continually disappointed in myself is that because you're you saw your dad do that or did your dad get disappointed in you when you didn't do something to his liking um i think both i mean i think that and again this goes back to me having i think a pretty solid upbringing my parents instilled in me a sense where they're like if you want to achieve things you can like you have the capability you're like a smart person cut you're not we're not we're not broke like we're not rich but you're coming from like a baseline good place so basically anything you want to go for you could and so anytime it's like baseline privilege kind of yeah baseline privilege so i was like okay if i don't achieve something or reach my potential it's completely 
my fault and I'm doing something wrong. So it's almost like kind of super woke of your parents to kind of give you that springboard way, way back of like, Hey, you've had it really good. So you're smart. You better go do good stuff. And then you're like, Oh shit, I really have to go do good stuff now. And so when, when it's not in, in your estimation, great, then you beat yourself up about it. I feel like a complete failure. Yeah. Yeah. I think too, the other thing, probably my dark sense of humor, I mean, even like, you know, now I get to sort of choose my own surroundings much more, which is both a good and bad thing in today's culture. You get to just create your own bubble and the bubble I've created is nice. It's like, I like the people in my bubble. And so I don't have the same sense that I did when I was a kid of feeling like I'm reacting against them. They're a sense Mm -hmm. of, it's a good part of my life. But I think now, and probably a lot of people feel this is the more you learn and the more you um, maybe work on yourself or sort of come to an understanding of like, oh, the world could be a nice place if everyone sort of did things in a better way. <laughs> and then you look around and you're like, it's complete garbage. It's like, it's completely, no, it's like, it, it's, so I still in a sense have, I think that same rebellion against what, how shitty the world is in a lot of ways. And so I, I, I find that to be a very, a place where dark comedy comes from as well. A lot, and that was a lot of corporate too, I think. Yeah. I like what you're saying though, about keeping your bubble, you know, bubble small. And, and as you get older, you realize like there are people that I hung out with in my twenties that I didn't even like hanging out with. And you just sort of like, yeah. yeah, I guess these are the people I'm hanging out with. And you're like, I don't like any of these people, but I guess, I, you know, and you start to realize as you get older, like I don't need, I I get to choose who yes. I want to hang out with and who wants, and you get drawn to those people and become friendly with those people because you're aligned in your worldview. And the people that I'm noticing, the people that kind of don't have that alignment, I distance myself from I, or detach from. It's not that I mean to them or tell them like, Hey, I'm better than you because it's certainly not the case. Right. Um, it's just more like I get to choose the energy of the people around me yes. and you know, the old adage of like, it's the company you keep. It's true. It really is. Like when I was having a lot of issues in my life, a lot of times it was the sort of environment that I was in, whether that was like a bad work environment, which was, which was sometimes the case, or I was in with a group of people who had values that weren't aligned with mine. And I kind of adopted that and, and started behaving in a certain way that, that made me feel badly about you know myself it's you don't realize it when you're in your formative years as a young adult you just kind of think oh this is just the people I'm with but now as I get on the you know the other side of 30 you know 30 I'm kind of like oh you know my 30s I'm like oh you really time is limited and you better spend it with people that enhance your life and you enhance theirs yeah it is funny it does really sneak up on you I think especially in your in your younger years where you just are around people and you sort of accept it. And you're like, I guess these are the people I know. And it only is, you, you know, five, 10 years down the road when you've kind of slowly parted ways, you look back and you're like, I don't know if I ever even liked that person. I was just around them. Kind of. And be, being in comedy and stand up, especially it really, uh, that's noticeable for me where it's like, you just, you're out every night and people show up. That's a weird thing that happens if you're like a performer is like, I would be at, I ran a weekly show that I guess is still a show, although it's hasn't happened in months now. Yeah. And I, it's a basically an invitation for whoever wants to show up can show up. And 
I mean, that's kind of a different thing, I guess, because it's like if you become any sort of public persona, you're kind of inviting people in a way into your life and you have to draw boundaries. But um, what was I going to say? Oh, this quarantine has been interesting because it completely cuts everyone out of your life. And so well, f- physically, yeah, right. Like a refresh button where you can it's caused me to realize like, oh, I haven't uh, seen this one person in a while. And like, do I like that or not like that? Do I miss them? Or did I feel nothing and just remember them randomly? And it's like, oh, maybe it's okay that they're not a part of my life. Also, social media and stuff brings way too many people into your life where you really probably need 10 people in your life. And you, yeah. if you're on social media, you technically have hundreds of people in your life. And so this has forced me to kind of pare it down or just focus on the people I I actually care about who I try to text with and keep up with. And if you're listening to this and I haven't texted you, I do still love you and don't take this the wrong way. <laughs> you specifically are still a part of my life and I care about you. So don't Luckily, worry. I'm not, I'm not talking to you. Yeah. Luckily, no one's listening yet. Um, <laughs> but hopefully if they go back in the archives, they they, they won't be offended and because you gave them that qualifier. <laughs> uh, I think what you're talking about, me and my wife were having a conversation about this too how the quarantine and, and this crisis has like accelerated the importance of certain things. Mm-hmm. One of them being, yeah, the people you want to keep in your life and the people that are important to you, but also like, what are your true core baseline needs? What are the things that bring you comfort and help you cope? Because when certain things are stripped away, there's only so much breath work and meditation you can do before you're like, I need to get on a treadmill or I need weights or I need to go swimming in a pool, whatever it is or whatever that thing is that you like to do out in public or, you know, requires you to go to a a place where there's other people. Once that's stripped away, you start to realize like, I need a home gym or I need, I need a room where I can relax in that is just for kind of writing or sitting and meditating or breath like you you start to realize what's really important and it's accelerated that and I almost wonder if this never happened would these be things that me and my wife would just figure out when we were 45 as opposed to our late 30s and I I think it's probably yeah true that we eventually would be like no we don't have to live that close to LA we can move a little further away where we have a little more space like it's okay to sit in traffic for an hour as long as you have a sanctuary to go to and we kind of didn't we didn't think that way as much. We definitely felt that, but mm-hmm. I feel like this situation has expedited like the desire to understand what you what are your baselines? Like what are the things that bring you the base happiness and the base comfort? Cuz yeah. who knows if this happens again if you don't have those things, you're going through the same process again. I know. And that and that would yeah. be bad, I think. I do feel bad anybody I feel like the people most suffering in this quarantine are the public flashers, the people who get off on flashing people in out in the world, they're having a really tough time right now. Yeah, they are. They are. And they're, they're having trouble finding people and doing it at a distance that's safe. Yes. There's a lot. Rob, Rob Hewell, you know, Rob, uh, yeah. actor, comedian. He's really funny. He's, I think he posted something of like, what this must be like, what is it like for people who have multi, who have more than one family? How are they doing this? Like, <laughs> If you have, if you have like a secret, if you're a guy with a secret wife and a secret family and oh, yeah. you got another one, how are you explaining to them that you need to leave and are you allowed? And it is, it is kind of interesting that way too. It's like, it was a joke, but you kind of think like, oh, there are people that were like exposed due to this. Yeah. 
They I never think... thought in a million years it would happen, and it did. Yeah. <laughs> this, um, I know, I do, you know, I really dread all of the movies that will come out about this time and TV shows. I don't want them. I don't want to watch <laughs> quarantine movies, and maybe there'll be some good ones. But I do look forward to the, like, exposés of stories where people who were hiding some huge thing were forced into the home with, with somebody else, their home, and then were discovered for, yeah, having a second family. That's what I want to know about. I find that this quarantine is, like, it's forcing me in terms of, like, what's important in your life is, yeah, is, like, finding the things that bring me joy each day that I can just do on my own here or with my partner and it also just continues to drive home some, something which I believe for a long time or the way I think of myself, which is that I am an animal and I need to just fulfill basic requirements and try not to think about it too much beyond that. It's like, am I in a bad mood? It's probably because I'm hungry or tired or I didn't or if I'm anxious, I probably need to exercise. It's so like there are bigger things than that, too, but I. I find that it's made me really focus on like just moment to moment, like how am I feeling and what can I do to not correct that? Cause sometimes you just need to live in it too, but it's really forced me to just, the solitude is like, I have to think about my own feelings all the time right now in a way that before you could kind of run away from them constantly. Cause you were just sprinting around the world all day and working constantly and all of that, you know? Yeah, that's, that's a, that's a great point. And I agree fully that we're just hot, sort of high-functioning animals. Yeah. You know, we kind of consider ourselves separate from the animal kingdom or separate from the earth or this sort of heightened conscious beings. But it's like, no, we're dirt. We're dirt people. We're, we're yeah. like, we're meant to like not wear clothes and walk around. Like we've yes. evolved to this point now, but like we could easily devolve if we yeah. had to, you know? Right. Um, and so it is, it is very important to recognize that to try to simplify as best you can, like you're doing. And I've tried to do that too, but the human brain just like kind of is such an interesting thing. Cause it's so weird. Yeah. It, it just sort of like salivates thoughts all day. That's what it does. It just comes up with consciousness all day and you're like, is that intuition or is that fear? Is that, I don't, am I anxious about this or am I just thinking about it? Am I future tripping or, and so if it, it's almost like if you're someone who's self analytical and, and, and self analytical, it can just drive you insane. And so this, this quarantine yeah. has definitely made me just be like, just don't worry, just feel it and do stuff that makes you feel good and makes you feel yeah. happy and, and comforts you. And sometimes you fail and you have to be patient with yourself. I've failed yeah. several times throughout the course of this. And I think I'll, by and large, I give myself a pretty good grade. But for the most, yeah. you know, there are these moments where you're just like, oh, man, I'm I'm not doing too well right now. I know early on, it was tough for me, like those first two, three weeks I had like kind of just like idle hand syndrome where I was still my brain, my brain was still in this mode of like, do, 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 go, go, go. And I was just, I drove my partner nuts a little bit because I was just like trying to manage my own time. And then like, what do we need to do right now? And we, I was still in this mode of like, I need to be doing things constantly. Cause that's like how I'd been operating for a long time. And I really had to multiple times learn the lesson of like, just go shut the fuck up and chill out and read a book for a few hours. Cause there's 
nothing that can be it. There's just so much less to be done right now. I think even if you have a job, if you're working from home, it's just like, it's forced me to calm down a lot in a, but I still have, I definitely have moments where like just earlier today, I was, I realized that in my head, I was having an argument with someone that we had never had. And I haven't spoken to this person in a while, but I was fighting with them in my head about something which I find myself doing from time to time. I'll like be having an argument in my head with someone that we've never had. And I always win the argument, but I just keep replaying it over and over in my head. But it's interesting. I can often recognize that I'm doing that, but it's still tricky to stop doing that. That's the frustrating part of like starting to become conscious of your own brain and is that you can start realizing what you're doing, but then it's a whole other thing to correct the behavior. Yeah, and it's not even necessarily correcting, but more like acknowledging mm -hmm. and trying to understand why you're doing it. I've done like where I've been upset at someone for something they've done or the way things are going, and I'll actually like vocalize out loud and as if I'm having an argument with that person. Yeah, and they're not there, and I feel so much better after. It's like, and I and I know that it's just me getting it out because. Maybe if I wasn't able to do that, um, that it would just bottle it up and that I'd, I'd maybe have uh, some sort of outburst with that person or something. So I wonder if it is the brain's way of like bringing the subconscious to the conscious and saying, hey, you need to kind of talk work about this, this out. Talk about this in your waking state. It's so funny um, how obvious that feels and how difficult it is or like I, I – uh, probably a downside of my upbringing is I was brought up very like polite Midwest Catholic. So there was, it was very much a like, just deal with your feelings on your own and don't ever cause a stir kind of thing. <laughs> Whereas like I'm, I'm uh, dating a Jewish woman and a lot of my friends are Jewish and not to stereotype, but from, from what they've told me, they're brought up in very much a place of like, talk about the way you're feeling all the time because there's a reason it's like helps to get that out and air any grievances you have. So I'm, I basically for the last year, handful of years trying to been training, trying to train myself to, if I'm obsessing over something, especially with someone that I am close to talk to them about that directly instead of just trying to work it out in my own head. And it feels so obvious to do that, but it's taken me years to put that into action, you know? Yeah, the cultural differences between, like myself, I grew up on the East Coast in a Jewish family, like not not religiously Jewish, but culturally, culturally Jewish. And I think that people who don't know what the culture, Jewish culture is on the East Coast as opposed to like the actual religion. I think most people who think of Judaism who aren't, haven't really met many Jewish people think of it as like the people walking around with the hats and you yeah. know, the, the, in a uniform clothes. Uh -huh. But, you know, there's a whole there's literally like hundreds of thousands of, of, of Jewish people across the country that aren't religious, but have like a cultural identification with Judaism. And I certainly grew up in that environment of like, it wasn't necessarily that we were always talking about our feelings. It was always like, there were always outbursts. And so there were always, I was, I was being yelled at. I was yelling, people were yelling at me. And that's also an East coast thing of like, even even non-Jewish Italian families are very much the same way that I you know all the, they're always the kid, dad was always screaming at you know my friends and telling yeah. me he's an idiot you know that sort of stuff you see on Seinfeld where you're like oh those characters it's like no that's kind of 
how how these you know these older you know the older generation baby boomers and 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 even older were of like you just you kind of you build it up and then you let it out or you just let it out all the time and my wife grew up in a catholic family in northern california and northern california for me might as well in certain areas of it like sacramento obviously san francisco is different but in other areas but sacramento might as well be omaha you know it, right. it's very other than it being the capital of california it's very much um you know, a middle of the road. There's a lot of conservative people in her family. Yeah. Um, and that she did grow up in, in an environment where it was like a lot was left unsaid. There weren't really outbursts. You kind of had to deal on your own with your emotions. And so when we came together and she would see me kind of like get angry or go nuts about some stupid thing, she'd be like, what the hell is this? Yeah. And con- and conversely, I'd be like, how can you not be upset about this? You know? I, I've had this the exact same thing happen because I... I've realized over the years that I I basically am afraid of confrontation or like confrontational feelings, even if they're not directed at me specifically, that sort of like emotional release um, often just registers as anger to me. And I've had Mm -hmm. to like learn that it's like to not just feel like I'm being attacked when someone is expressing anger about something, which it feels so silly. I feel even childish saying that, but it's just like, that was the environment I was raised in, you know? Yeah, I, I think that my that my wife, Brooke, feels the same way or has felt the same way. It's obviously evolved as we've been in a right. relationship and we've kind of met in the middle of like me not necessarily, you know, allowing myself to just go off the handle at every silly thing mm-hmm. and her understanding that when I do need to emote, it's not necessarily anything to do with her or her fault and she shouldn't feel attacked by it. So like we've come together on that, but that... Yeah. I think that that's that's not necessarily only because of you know a Jewish versus a Catholic. No, thing, no, but that's no. just like regional too, yeah. culturally as well. Absolutely. Um, and Where did you yeah. grow up again? New York. New York. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what What's the hardest thing you've ever done in your life? Um, you have to answer within five seconds. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to ask. I'm trying to ask uh, random questions. No, I appreciate that. It's a good yeah. question. I, the hardest thing I've ever done. I know the hardest I've ever worked at something. Maybe I don't. The hardest thing I've ever oh, done. Gosh. I mean, probably like a calculus test I wasn't prepared for senior year. Probably <laughs> where I was just like, "Whoops! I don't know what any of these symbols mean." Um, yeah. The hardest I've ever worked at something which was um which I think was kind of a turning point in my life and it's based on a very nerdy thing but I was in band from sixth grade to twelfth grade I played drums and percussion and I was always I was a bit of a slacker in school I think I was kind of just resting on my laurels that I knew I could make good enough grades without really putting in any effort um but I uh my junior year I was became obsessed with making all-state band I was like I'm gonna make all-state band and then I got to the tryout and fucked up and just didn't make it and it killed me. And so senior year, I was like with some sort of like otherworldly obsession, kind of like not even like a fun thing, kind of drove myself to work. I Like I would wake up super early and practice hours before school started. I practiced hours after school. I kind of became obsessive and for months practiced these pieces until I got them perfect. And then I did get an all-state band. And, that was, I think, probably the hardest I've ever worked at something and also the point at which I was like, 
oh, if I apply myself, I can do these things. I just have to really fucking... It made me just understand the difference maker mo a lot of the time in most areas in life is your work ethic. And if you can learn to control that, it kind of... That's made the difference for me, at least, as I've learned, like, oh, work ethic is the thing. Most people have a bad work ethic. <laughs> have, you, have you found that, that people that have a high work rate or have a good work ethic, when they accomplish the things that they set out to accomplish, they aren't super satisfied? That's a great, yes, ab absolutely. And I, that was actually a huge realization I had that I left out of that story was when I did then make Allstate Band, I felt very little because I was hoping for some sort of huge rush. But instead, my feeling was, of course I made it. I practiced. I worked at this yeah. harder than anyone else here. If I didn't make it, it would be insane. So it did take, it, yeah, it t took sort of some of the joy out of it to me. But it, I think what it did is it just made me realize like, oh, the thing that you're trying to achieve isn't the won't do it for you. The cliche of like that thing you're trying to achieve, that won't be the thing that makes you happy or sustains you indefinitely. It's always nice, but you do have to try to just like enjoy the work of it because that's how you get it done. And chasing after these like highs of um, achieving something won't, isn't quite the thing that sustains you in life or doesn't with me at least, you know? Yeah. Like when you forgot your first show, was it the same type of feeling of like, oh, I got a show. Wow, that's great. And then like the day after you're like, well, now I have, now I actually have to do a lot of work. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. I think, was... you know, I've talked yeah. about this with other people I've had on about how there are these people that, I, that I've run into in this industry where it's like they get one thing and they're like, oh, my life, I'm set. And, right. You know, I'm the, I'm the third lead on a show on Hulu. And it's like... Right. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I'm very happy for you, but you better be working on something else because who knows, but there are some people that, that feel that they've, they deserve it, that they've worked hard for it and that the next thing is just going to be handed to them. And that's one thing I've noticed is the people that continuously work really hard are oftentimes rewarded. It's not always that way in this industry, yeah. but it's yeah. not a meritocracy, but it is the people that at least keep grinding eventually there'll be another opportunity that they're ready for. Um, but I also, I struggle with that too, of like accomplishing something or doing something that people would go, wow, that's, that's great that you did that. I'm like, I feel good about it for like five minutes. And then I'm like, <laughs> all right, what do I got? What else do I have to do now? And I wonder if I that's unhealthy. Yeah, I think it probably is, but it's probably somewhere in between you should try to learn to enjoy your any accomplishments you have more. But also, I think there is a side of it where it's like, um, that is just a reality, I think, which is like nothing, I never, I always, you know, it's funny because like, I find that I always, even though I know this to be untrue, my brain still wants to believe that I will reach some plateau of contentedness and happiness and never dip back away from that. Like anytime I'm feeling good, my brain's like, you're always going to feel this way. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. anytime I have a moment of feeling good, I'm like, and this is just how I feel now. And I'll never feel bad. Even though on some sort of like subconscious level, I, I feel that. Um, and whenever I'm feeling bad, I'm like, well, this is it forever. I guess this is just how I am. And I, I continue to try to train myself to like, uh, remember that everything is 
temporal and passing, but um, I do think it's like, it's okay to acknowledge that, I think you should take more pride in your accomplishments, but also it's okay to acknowledge like, yeah, those aren't the things that they don't make me happy forever because nothing could, because that's like kind of an absurd idea that we all hang on to, or I think most of us hang on to if you were born in America is that like, you'll achieve something and then feel good forever. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point. It's almost like everyone's chasing something. Yeah. And even when you're the dog that catches the car, you catch the car and you go, oh, oh okay, this isn't the thing. What's yeah. the other, What? what's, you know, and, and I think that this is all part of like spiritual development, personal growth and development of like doing those things is help. It may feed your soul. It may feed your ego. It, it may make you feel good. But if you're not like, we're doing the work on a personal level of, of trying to understand who you are and why you do certain things and healing over old wounds and becoming a better person and doing all the things necessary to like, just be a more kind of welcoming soul mm-hmm. <laughs> that it's just all this like vapid grabbing at fog. Yeah. Um, and it feels like you making a television show like that brought you joy, but I'm sure there were certain parts of it where you were like, this is fucking terrible. Absolutely. You know? So it's like, it's both. everything's not going to be great all the time. Like I, I, I set out to do this podcast of like, I'm going to make this podcast and it's going to reach all these people and, and hopefully it helps them and, and they yeah. enjoy it. But I mean, I'm sure there's going to be months where no, no one hears it yes. and I'm going to have to change and it's going to be difficult and challenging. But I think if you went into every situation tempered by that nothing would get done you'd be like paralyzed by yeah the fear the fear of the unknown and so now it's like kind of like just go for it and see what happens and adapt and overcome and trust yourself kind of thing i know yeah it's hard to know how to be a hundred percent it yeah. really is but i said kind of in like the mission statement of this thing it's like as long as you're like going towards the things that you're like, this is cool and it brings me, it's a challenge and it's fun and I enjoy it and it's bringing me some sort of warmth creatively, energetically, whatever it is. I feel like that's good and and, and that most people should be trying to do that. But then the other thing, the other part of that is that there are certain people that maybe they're just not capable of that. Yes. Is is everyone capable of that? I don't know. And and it's not an intelligence thing. I think it's just some people are driven that way and others aren't, you know? I mean... Fucking Takashi six nine by all accounts is a very accomplished uh, rapper, or yeah. so I hear. Uh-huh. But um, I don't think that spiritually, or, or uh, he seems to be like the healthiest guy. No, Ian, I, you're stepping over the line there. I think <laughs> I don't think. Let's not attack Takashi six nine spirituality. I just, I, I mean, I, I've seen, I've seen his new video. Uh, it's uh, it's a little degrading to women. Uh, I don't understand it. I definitely am starting to also, that's another thing. I mean, not to go too far off a field, but like I'm getting to the age now where like I'm f- looking at pop culture things and I'm like, what is this? Know. You know, <laughs> what, who is, I remember one time at the, at my old job, I yelled out of my office, what's post Malone? <laughs> <laughs> and that's a great question. Yeah, and uh, one of the younger one of the younger executives was like, "Did you just say what is Post Malone?" And then I said, uh, "Yeah, I just was watching some of his music." 
Yes. And it was just like watching YouTube videos saying that I'm watching his music. I, I was like, I'm an 80 year old man all of a sudden. I, I don't understand. But I am like reaching that point of like, oh, I don't understand this. But this has 250 million views on YouTube. So someone understands it. I or know. at least is attempting to. More and more, and this is also just a part of the internet doing this, but it's like I find out about someone who is wildly famous who I've never heard of before, yeah. who yeah. who has like 20 million followers on whatever, and I'm like... Like a, you, no like a YouTuber or a TikToker yeah. or something like, like that? I yeah, no idea who this person They're is. worth like $150 million and they're 19 years old. Yes. There's a kid that opens toys on YouTube. He's like five. He made $11 million last year. And it's just a little boy, a cute little boy being like, I like this toy, just opening it. And he's like a multi, you're just like, what? You wonder like what's been, what's been turned on its head and, and, and should it write itself? Or is it just like, you got to take it to the circus, just watch and enjoy. I think it is that. Cause like, or I mean, even going back to like, what do you tell people who either are or are not capable of achieving things? It's like, there is no right answer. It's sort of guesswork for yourself on an individual basis. Like, yeah. you kind of just have to try things. And it's funny, even, I think about this, I just, I was, I I love giving advice. I won't, I, I, I feed off of giving other people advice. It's an annoying thing I do. I, I won't shut up. And it's something I've had to, like, try to temper in myself because I love fucking giving people it's, advice. It's the, mid, it's the Midwestern dad in you. Oh, yeah. And I'm yeah. starting to look like a Midwestern dad. I've had a mustache recently. I'm, I'm out of control. I got Birkenstocks. Um, but uh, I, uh, I've often wondered even, like, about the value of giving advice because it's, like, even, even what I was saying, it's, like, work hard. It's, like, okay, it's a good piece of advice. Like, if you work really hard... But some people can't work hard because their brain, because of millions, thousands of years of evolution, and they shot out of their mom, and now they then they grew up in a unstable environment. It's really fucking hard for them to work hard, so it's almost pointless to give them that advice. Uh, but you do kind of have to just—it's just all guesswork. It's like if you, telling people to work hard is good advice if they happen to be able to take that advice. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Um, it's like le leading the horse to water type of thing. It's like, yeah, I also like giving people advice. But what I've realized is like unsolicited advice is not a very attractive uh, no. thing. And so if people ask my advice and I have something important to say, I'll certainly try to give them some advice. But yes, but, um, you know, I, I, I think that just comes from my upbringing as I was constantly being instructed or given advice and still to this day am like what you got to do is yes you know and you're like oh okay so now i'm like have to decondition myself to like like if my wife is telling me that something's bothering her i don't have to solve the problem and i, I don't know. have to be the one to like figure out why or how she can fix this thing that's bothering her I've i just have to that. listen you yeah know? i've gone through that exact same thing with my partner where too many is it okay that i'm calling her my wife and you're calling I could say her name, right? Hillary, You're calling yeah. Hillary your partner. Should I say I, my partner? No. Well, my, my partner is not my wife, so. Oh, I, gotcha. I, but but I feel like is she, wife okay. She called me my. She calls me a husband. I'm I think it's sure. fine. I mean, you guys did. I'm very married. worried about this, Matthew. <laughs> I don't want to offend anyone. I don't want anyone to get upset. I now feel because my partner and I have been together so long that calling her girlfriend feels. I'm like, like yeah, it has to be a little. Maybe that's it. Maybe partner yeah. is more like, it's almost like uh, common law. You know? Yeah, we're basically yeah. married at this point, especially yeah, like yeah. during quarantine. It's like, yeah. <laughs> truly, yeah. yeah. Um, 
Oh wait, what were we just saying though? Were we just oh, about trying to solve uh, solve oh, the yeah. problem. Oh yeah, I've had to learn that lesson way too many times. Of like, she's just trying to get something off her chest about her boss at work or whatever, and I'm like trying to take the point of view of her boss, or maybe if you know we think, and I'm just like, no, just shut up. She just wants to like tell somebody this and I happen to be the person in the room. So don't try to like solve every problem she has. Yeah, that, that's been that's been an education for me. And I think like that's a good thing for a lot of people to learn is like <laughs> you honestly for unless you're an expert in a field, like you don't know better than anyone else about any, you know, no, if, if someone wants to know how to develop a comedy show, maybe 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 I have a slightly better yes. point of view than someone else. Maybe honestly, maybe. Right. Uh, probably, probably not. Let's be honest. Yeah. With that. Um, but, but like, or if you're a doctor and someone's asking you medical advice, it's like, yeah, but for the most part, we're all just kind of figuring this thing out as best we can and trying to work through our issues. And so like, I find certain things that I do, I'm like, oh, that, that works for me. And maybe I could help other people by telling them that this thing works for me. And I've, I have done some of that and it has been helpful for people. Like friends have come to me and be like, I'm really struggling with this thing or, you know, I have an injury or whatever because I come, you know, I played sports so I, I could like help them work through like, oh, if you're stiff, do this stretch or that thing. Yeah. And so maybe I have a little bit more there, which feels nice to give people like little tips and hints of how to improve. But for the most part, we're all just like guessing at pretty much everything. Yeah. Like when you well, see these ex experts on the news, you're like, I don't think that person knows any more than really than I do. Oh, I know. Well, and that's like I don't not the, I don't want to get into the news, but it's all just opinion <laughs> yeah. now. It's just like yeah. it's like you have to. It's really hard to find out what the actual news is and what is just sort of conjecture or whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. But yeah. I do find um, I used to Jake, who was the guy I made the show with, who you also know. Um, we lived together for a few years. That's kind of when we started putting the show together. And during that time, he was incredibly depressed, uh, an extremely depressive person. And I gave him advice constantly about it. And, uh, for example, things like exercise, exercising release endorphins. It's like a simple yeah. and or learn how to meditate. And he took none of it, none of it for years. <laughs> and yeah, then yeah. he, a year or two ago, um, started taking antidepressants. I'm not speaking out of school there. He was, he would talk. No, to you I about know. It. And he's doing great now. He's, he's doing, doing great. Really well. And he did that. Yeah. And now he does exercise. He doesn't meditate still. Then maybe he'll get there, but it's, but that just goes back to my point of like, Everyone, the best you can do is just throw a few good ideas at people because everyone truly is just doing guesswork with their own life. And some people are not in a position where they can make the right choice for themselves or it's very, yeah. they have to go through a lot more to be able to do that, you know? And the other thing too is Jake probably found those things not because of the advice that you gave him, but just because it yeah. was time for him to find those things. It's, that's exactly right. You're yeah. like, have you thought about SSRIs two years ago? Or have you thought about, you know, doing push-ups and then... Yes you know, he starts doing those things and then he's like, you know, Matt was right. Yeah. No one ever thinks that way. No, it doesn't matter. And that's yes. the other thing too. And I, I don't know if I've talked about this on previous episodes, but like, it doesn't matter if you're right. And I think that's, yeah. there's such a huge, like who cares thing to me about everything you see on social media about like, there's certain things that are just like patently wrong that you see that are like, go against what it is that, that, you know, humanity that you just see and you're like, that's just wrong. I, I, I can't even argue that it's right. It's just yeah. wrong. But there's other things where it's obviously just opinion. And even if you do end up being right about something, what is that? Who cares? Like, wh what is it serving other than your own ego? Of being like, see, I was right. 
And it's like, well, no one cares when you're right. Even if you predict something, no one's like, he predicted it. It's never, it doesn't matter. And I've also definitely been trying to learn that. It doesn't matter if you're right about things. And, you know, you might take your, you know, put your own little personal check mark in your column if you're right about something. But like so many, so many of the arguments that I've had in, you know, my own relationship are about like who's right about something. And it's like... We, when we when we have like a postmortem on a fight or something, we're like, that's the dumbest thing about who's right about this. Who cares? It's just like we were both going through something and we had an argument. Yeah. And now we're, you know, you know, it's like. It probably wasn't even about the thing that you were arguing. No, it's some other issue that one of us is having or both of us are having and it's brought to a head. And so I think if people could just like let go of the idea of being correct about things and yeah. thinking that you know better than everyone else. Everyone would just be a lot more sort of relaxed. Yes. Um, because I think the universal things that are right will always be right. Yeah. And there's no like, people think, are, yeah, the truth just like kind of hangs around, you know, it's going to come yeah. out. The things that are, that are meant to be true and meant to be known by people will. But the other things that are like not important kind of opinion-y stuff, it doesn't matter. The people just quibble think- over it being alive is so difficult and so confusing that that that's why religion is so attractive for some people because it's like oh the the right answer thank god i would love to have the right answer and then they you know you can apply that to so many things in your life but it's so attractive to have we're all just blowing in the wind so much that anything that feels like it's correct is like some people who who um are still maybe in a less enlightened like we are, like enlightened like yeah. you and me, and yeah, less so enlightened, enlightened place might want to grab onto that in a way that's unhealthy. But I think the what I've learned, or at least where I'm at right now, is like is like yeah, just stop trying to control things as much. It's like the only thing that's going to continue to happen is everything will change around you. So the best thing you can do is just sort of accept that. I'm going to let my dog yeah. in real quick. He's scratching on the door. I, I really like your dog. He's he's a good-looking good pup. Yeah, he's handsome. You don't have pets, right? Or no, do I you? Have two, I have two cats, yeah. You have two cats, that's right, yeah. Yeah, I love them, but since I had a, had a daughter now, it's that's like... That's what I was going to ask. It's just... Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I loved my cat. I still love them. They're great, but they're just annoying now because it's yeah. just another, another thing care. to take care of. Like, my daughter is... She's wonderful, and uh, but she's hard to take care of sometimes. You know, yeah. she's a little a little human that has needs, and you know, at five a.m. when I'm getting the last minutes of my sleep, and my cat is like pawing at my face to oh. feed him his like <laughs> little you know breakfast of innards or whatever it is they eat. It's kind of like why? I mean, it'd be better. I mean, yes, they give us a lot of joy, but man, it's not great. It I almost know. I almost feel like a dog with a baby a well-behaved dog would be easier than two cats because cats like are chaotic. Yeah, they can be. I mean, our cats are pretty good, but one of them is just super shy and the other one is friendly, but you know, kind of getting older and a little needy. So it's just, um, you know, this is the part of the podcast where we transition into, it's become sort of a cat fancy type podcast <laughs> where I talk about you know, uh, the health issues. One of them has periodontal disease. So we'll, we'll get into that for the next three hours. Um, talk about that. Um, but yeah, definitely having pets during this, I think has saved so many. I mean, they've like emptied all the shelters in LA just because people are like, well, I'm home all the time. 
I might as well get a pet. My worry is that when things re- return to normal, that people are like, oh, I can't take care of this dog anymore. I'm just going to I know. Let, I'm sure that will happen. Yeah. yeah. I'm now, yeah, I mean, this isn't a fun time at all, but there are ben- there are some bonuses to it, which is like, yeah, I get to hang around my dog all day, and I don't have kids, so I still love my dog. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, you, you'd still love your dog, but you'd see, like, yeah, when and if, when and if you do have have decide to have children, like it's a it's just it's a different level of care, At and least. the dog the dog is like yeah, you're just like uh, okay, I guess I gotta walk this thing now for thirty <laughs> minutes while it you know it's trash off the street. And, you know, <laughs> do you? At least your kid isn't old enough that you have to educate them during this. Yeah, that that's that's a whole thing that I couldn't. I mean, I know I have some friends that are doing that and they're working harder than they've ever worked in their lives and they oh. shouldn't have to like they're working, you know, they have, you know, young kids that are in school. And so they're having to homeschool them. Essentially they get the lessons plan from the school. They homeschool their child. Then inter- in between that, they're switching off to do like work zoom calls and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then the kids are done and then you have to catch up on all the work and then you have to put the kids to sleep and feed them. And that takes time. And then, you put them to sleep and they're working till 10 p.m. every night. And it's just, it, it must just be, I've heard from people that it is a big time challenge and that, look, you know, children are wonderful. They're a blessing. But part of the good part about sending your kid to school is that when they're at school, they are away from the house. So you can accomplish things and do your job. And that's how our society has been set up. Kids go to school. Right. Unless they're homeschooled, which is a very small percentage of the, of the population normally. Yeah. And then you can go do your job, and if you're if you're uh, you know a mother who works, you can go do your job, and come and know that your kids are taken care of in school, and yeah. they come home, and then you know you're you get back together and either have dinner or you know take care of them then. So not having that now has changed the entire paradigm of like how our country has been set up since I don't know I guess the nineteen you know, thirties or forties, I guess. I don't even know how long it's been that way. I mean, it used right. to be that like pretty much children were shoved yeah. into factories or, <laughs> you know, put, put a, put in a field, but you know, once, the once yeah, the good old days when, when things were, were right. But yeah. you know, before, after industrialization and like the normal work day, things have changed in such a way that it's like, I, know. Uh, I can't even, um, I, I am, we are very lucky, but conversely, like she can't go to preschool None of the schools are open. They're offering classes, you know, um, online, but there's a certain level of enrichment that children get from being around other children. And she doesn't had that or even being around other adults too. children. Yeah. It's good to be exposed to different energies and different people. And so she's not getting as much of that exposure. And we hope that it won't have an effect on her long term, but it may. I mean, I, I don't yeah. know. Oh, it, all, it most certainly will, Ian. Make no mistake about that. This is She's being damaged right now, and it will cause irreparable problems for her in the future. I doubt that. I mean, you might be right, but I'm not going to believe it. Yeah. Well, isn't that the thing with kids is that you're just you're sort of accidentally helping and hurting them at all times. And you'll never, you won't know until 20 years what you have done to them, both positively and negatively. Yeah, that's, that's definitely true. But the one thing I will say is, and and this is another cliche thing is they do sort of come out their own way. Like she is, she has, they come out kind of all knowing they, they kind of come out the people they are. But you as a parent can obviously hurt the situation or help the situation 
based on the choices you make as a parent and the, and the example that you set forth for them. So I'm definitely keenly aware of the stuff I'm, I'm doing that might not be great and keenly aware of the stuff I'm doing that is. So, and you're just giving, you're giving her advice until her ears bleed, right? Yeah. I mean, she doesn't, she, she does, she understands quite a bit. Uh, yeah, I'm talking to her about, you know, how best, where do you part? Do you put your money in the stock market now, or do you put it in just a savings account? Things are volatile out there, you know? Um, but yeah, it is, once you become a parent, like I, I was listening to an interview with, uh, with Laird Hamilton, who I find an interesting character, you know Laird Hamilton. He's that big wave surfer. I've heard he's like that. Of, he's yeah. like a surfer who surfs on these waves that you're like boats shouldn't go on. Yeah. You know, and he, he's out there with a surfboard. He's just just yeah. a guy that's just cut from a different. And I find those people really interesting, and I I try to like kind of glean as much as I can from people like that because mm-hmm. I'm like they're outliers. What what's his mindset like? Is could that be yeah. helpful for me if I apply some of those things? And uh, he was asked by an interviewer like what's the scariest thing you've ever experienced? And he said, being a parent. And I was like, this is a guy that surfs on, you know, hundred foot waves. Uh And for him, it's being a dad to daughters is like the scariest thing. And he says is because like on the way, you know, on a wave there's, I can control a lot of the things he's like, but with kids, like I can't control the world around them. So they're going to get hurt and they're going to get emotionally hurt. They could get physically hurt. Bad things can happen to them. And I have, I have no control over that. And he's like, it's one thing to be scared. It's another thing to be have fear. He's like, I have, I'm not scared. I have fear, which is a yeah. whole different thing. It's like a much more visceral feeling. So, I mean, that just goes to show you if Laird Hamilton is saying that he's scared as a parent, I mean, I don't have a chance. No, you're done. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I don't even, I don't even really like going in the ocean. I find it scary. <laughs> I'm scared of the ocean. <laughs> yeah. I know. Yeah. So I, you know, being a parent is definitely terrifying for sure. <laughs> I do feel during this time, I'm like, I am glad I don't have kids right now. Who knows what the future will bring? <laughs> but I was actually just a couple nights ago, my partner, Pete, capital P, partner, uh-huh. and I were lying in bed watching Great British Baking Show. And I was just like, thank God there aren't two young boys in the other room in the house right now. You know what I mean? But I mean, it's, it's good that you realize that because it's true. <laughs> it's it is definitely like i have friends that don't have kids and they're like i don't know man i'm kind of going nuts i'm like just soak it in soak it in um because i have a you know my daughter's good she's a good kid she's not she's not she's hard at times but like she's pretty pretty good child and like yeah i can only imagine like what if we had like a very difficult child or a child that had you know special needs or something i mean i just you, it just makes you constantly grateful for what you have. And it's good that you're like, that you and Hillary can just like lay next to each other and have the realization like, we don't have kids. This is great. We're just like living our <laughs> lives, watching television. We have this, you know, well-behaved dog and, yeah, uh, and things are good. And like, yeah, we can sleep in tomorrow. There's no child that needs to get fed in the morning. And yep. um, we'll just, but, you know, die unfulfilled. That's the only, you know, that's the only <laughs> downside of it. I'd yeah, say. Yeah. Um, <laughs> When you think about your future, mm-hmm. what do you like? What do you want for yourself in the future? Hmm. Um, I basically just want what I already have. Fortunately, just sort of like a continuation of it, which is like my health and. Uh, the sort of creature comforts I have right now, which is like 
a place that I'm comfortable living. And I also just want to keep making things for, I want to make TV and movies. So that's probably the biggest, like, or like that's for better or worse. The thing that occupies probably the biggest place in my mind when I think about the future is like securing or continuing to put myself in a position where I can create. Cause that is, that's the thing I found with myself is the thing that does bring me the most joy or that I am just most fixated on in my life is creating things. And I find that I can get the most engaged and the most out of that experience. So I want to just try to create a situation where I can keep doing that in kind of in the way that I would want to, uh, which is like having control over it and not trying to not finding myself in my fifties trying to write a rom-com with like a sexy young teen or something like that. No offense to the 50 year old writers writing those movies, but you have no idea how many people just put their pens down. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, well, that's, that's, that's great that you, you feel like you have so much already and that you would just want kind of more of the same. And it's, it's impossible to think about, well, what, what, how will you, how will your needs change? Well, yeah, that's the thing is it's like, I mean, you know, I say that and I I do, I think I'm about right, but it is, yeah, the question is like, or even, you know, with kids specifically, and I've, I've talked, I've thought about this a lot, but like my question really is, I don't even, I don't even necessarily want kids, but my bigger question is like, will I hit 70 and regret not having them, having had them? Or does that even matter? Is that question kind of irrelevant? Because of course you'll have regrets in your life or whatever, you know? It does feel like in terms of projecting what I want into the future, it's a little bit of guesswork because I'm like, I will change. And so what will I want at that point? But, you know. Yeah, because there's schools of thought that are like, don't think about your future, just control the moment and that will dictate your future, which is true. Yeah. But it's also like human nature to kind of look out ahead and go, what's that going to look like? Or where will I be then? But what I've found is it's, I'm never right. Yeah. You know, I can like go, like I knew that I wanted to leave my old job and go to, to this new type of job. I knew that I didn't know that it would unfold in the way it did. And it just sort of did, which is great. And I'm grateful for that. But it's interesting that I, I personally almost haven't learned my lesson in the way of like, Oh, I'm like, yeah. Oh yeah. It'll probably be like this and that, and then this will happen and that'll be that. And this will be that. And it's like, no, it's, it's going to do what it's going to do. And yeah. it's going to unfold. It's almost like, in my opinion, I think all this stuff is in, is in divine order. It's just going to kind of unfold the way it's meant to. And the decisions you make are the decisions you make. And I know. You can get into the whole thing of free will or if it's predetermined. I mean, who knows? I don't think. Yeah, I know. I think my I think how I feel about it now is there's free will within a very limited range of options. It's like you don't just have like wide ranging free will. You've got like maybe two small choices you can make. Is it like. Yeah. And every every choice that you make kind of opens up another box that you step into. And then it's just just weird game of fractal decision making. I know. Uh, I find most of my life is just knowing it's like, yep, you can't control the future. So just focus on the moment. And then in the next moment, I'm like, but what about the future? You know what I mean? (laughs) And then I have to keep reminding myself of the same lessons that I've learned over and over and over again, you know? 
Yeah, I mean, and like you get into the philosophical stuff, and I believe me, I'm not even qualified. I don't think to even start getting into it. But like, the future doesn't exist. Yeah, right. It doesn't. It doesn't exist. Yeah. And I mean, you could argue that even this exists. <laughs> so it's kind of like yeah. you're just it, it, when you, when I get in, and I, I've talked about this like in my intro for this podcast of like when you start like going down that hole, it yes. is the, it is so terrifying it's like white eyes like (laughs) whoa oh wow whoa Uh and i and and like it i marveled by it and i'm amazed by it and i find it to be this like intricate you know and uh you know endlessly pieced time clock this like this machine that's moving uh, that you that I'm always trying to look at and figure out and like you're never gonna figure this out. I know that's you know? kind of where I met is I'm like I'm not gonna figure it out. I try to just take the big picture lessons away, which is like be here now, focus on the yeah. moment right now. It's like, but also be here now, but also also do plan for the future. Also, <laughs> yes. also the future is probably coming, so save yeah. some money for retirement if you're able to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but lost within that is like the mundane banality of like, am I putting enough in my IRA? Yeah, you know, here, and it's just like, what are we talking about? Here? I know, you know, <laughs> am I putting enough imaginary money in this imaginary digital account so that when I retire, I can feed myself soup? Like, what are we doing here? It the whole thing is is uh, is nuts, and I think it's good to just connect with people who also are like, oh yeah, yeah, no, it's crazy, it's yeah. crazy. Yeah. So it's always reassuring when talking to people like you, because it's like you feel you have the same you're on the same wavelength of like, yeah, but what about the future, though? You know, Uh right. Nothing matters. But also it does really matter right now to me personally. What? Yeah, because if I don't if I decide that, you know, I don't think I'm going to drink water anymore. I die. Do you know what I mean? Like there's like very basic these like basic decisions that have to be made. Well, it's Almost funny. like biological level. And then there's this other imaginary structural reality that we've created that is so complicated and weird. Yes. That it's so, it feel, everything just feels unnatural sometimes. You're just like, what, what is this thing? It's very unnatural. There's this documentary I watched, which is a really unsettling, upsetting documentary called uh, Hypernormalization. Have you ever heard of that? No. Hypernormalization. I can't remember. It's a doc. It's pretty, it's, it's really good, but it is, you don't feel good after you've watched it. But the, the title hypernormalization is something you were just touching on, which is, I think it's a German, it's translated from a German term, which is like hypernormalization is the fact that we sort of act because we sort of have to, like everything around us is normal. Like the house we're in, it's like, that's normal. There's a target down the road. And that's normal. It should be, but none of that makes any sense. It's like all of that is just some weird buildup of things over many years that it's not normal at all. But we just to live day to day have to operate as though it's normal that there's a target a mile away from me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, I thought about that the other morning I was, I was trying to exercise and I live in a, we live in a townhouse in this like very small complex and it's proven very difficult to find places where I can exercise Mm -hmm. because there's just not a lot of space there. Yeah. And I like went out to this little piece of pavement to do some exercise. And then the, the sprinklers came on 
And I was like, oh, okay, I'll just move to the to the end of this corridor of, on, uh, to another piece of pavement. And then yeah. the sprinklers, like in the little flower box, came on there. And I'm getting sprayed by the water. So I'm like moving all of my equipment. Then I just started exercising in like the dirty garage where the cars are parked like you know in the handicap space yes and i'm like thinking to myself like i've i'm putting up with so much here of like and yeah granted the whole thing is like you're fortunate to have a house you're fortunate to do all these things like yeah Yeah. it's great but like think of how unnatural we're living in these boxes yes i want to do something good for myself some man-made water machine is not allowing me to do it (laughs) and then i'm gonna go work out in in a in a place in a giant space that's reserved for inanimate objects that move us places. And it's like this big area, like, you know, and you're the whole time I'm thinking, what, this is none of this. It makes sense. And it makes no sense. I know you kind of, it's weird. Like when you start learning about the bigger or what you were talking about earlier of like these bigger ideas and they're kind of fascinating to think about, but then practically you essentially have to forget them moment to moment because it's like, you would never, you would never, survive i think people that have a really really hard time functioning society are often plagued by these you know the kind of like yeah the, this is meaningless yes. and 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 i you know i don't think it's meaningless but i understand why they feel that way because when you start going down the thought pattern of like what is all like the hypernormalization thing you mentioned it is yeah. scary and I think some people just either they're wired a certain way or they have trauma in their life that doesn't enable them to escape from that trapped pattern of thought that 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 they it's just too much for them and those people have a rough time. Yeah, I think like I the best you can do is just try to take whatever piece of it works for you and use that and forget the rest. Like even like nihilism or existentialism were like ideas I got into in college and really became obsessed with them. But then practically, like nihilism, if you take it to its, you know, greatest extent. Also, I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. I'm not a philosopher. But it's like, it's essentially just a destructive, it can be destructive. So to think that nothing matters, like, so why not even just kill yourself, like, right now? But practically what you what I take away from it is like, oh, nothing matters. So why not make interesting choices with your life or do the thing that you might be most interested, but scared to do like, why not give that a shot? You know? And that's a right turn as opposed to a left turn. You know, you're just choosing to go, yeah, maybe nothing matters, but I'm going to do stuff that makes me happy as opposed to nothing matters. So why even participate in society and just drop out or do what, you know, not go towards things that make me happy or be self-destructive. So, you know, you you understand why certain people make those decisions one way or the other, you know? Um, But I mean, I feel like we've probably solved you and I, sort of all the issues associated with being alive. Well, and as two people who love giving advice, I think we've done a great (laughs) job here. We've given so much advice to each other. (laughs) And if people would just listen to us, everything would be okay. And if people would acknowledge when I'm right and then tell me and then tell everyone they know, know. man, I'd feel good about things. I know. I would always feel good and I would never feel bad again. Yeah. Everything's beautiful and nothing hurt, right? Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Well, man, I really, I really appreciate you chatting with me. This was awesome. It was yeah. great to connect with you again, and I'm, I'm excited for this next season of Corporate. Whenever it airs, do you, do you guys know yet? Or this summer, I believe. We're, I think summer? we're waiting for an official air day, but I think it'll be this summer. And, and can you share? Will it be on the CBS or? 
the all access or are they going to put it on TV? We don't know yet. I mean, according to failing New York Times, Comedy Central is collapsing under itself. Um, But God bless them for for giving us money to make a TV show. But um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I think it'll air on Comedy Central and then hopefully somewhere online eventually. Yeah, I don't know. Well, it was one of the great honors uh, of my career to work on your show. And uh, I'm glad that we became friends from it. I'm also, I feel the feelings mutual, Ian, I, and and uh, to the listeners out there, Ian was instrumental in getting the show on the air, and I owe a lot of my career thus far to him, so I am in, indebted to you. It's the only reason I'm doing this. I didn't want to do this podcast at all, but I, I felt like I owed you something. God, I hope you're, I hope you're kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I am kidding. I love you, Ian. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, Matt. Yeah, thanks, Ian. Take it easy. I hope that you enjoyed my conversation with Matt. Once again, check out his show, Corporate. If you have the chance, you won't regret it. I want to remind you all to stay safe, take care of yourself, and take care of each other. Keep your heart open, and I look forward to being with you again very soon. This just is.